Today on the Matt Wall Show, NFL head coach John Gruden has been forced to resign after the media published his private emails containing, quote, vulgar language. Meanwhile, the NFL still employs domestic abusers, rapists, drug addicts, but none of those crimes are as bad as thought crimes, apparently. Also, Southwest cancellations continue as the CEO of the company continues to deny that it has anything at all to do with a vaccine mandate. And California, always on the forefront of the culture of death, passes a bill making it easier for people to kill themselves. All of that, plus our daily cancellation and more today on The Matt Wall Show. I think this is pretty simple. If you have people in your life who rely on you, as I do, as so many of us do, then you really need to have life insurance. If you don't have life insurance yet, um, you know, you're going to wait and wait until it's too late. That's, that's the tragedy of it. And why do that? Go to Policy Genius, and they can make it so easy for you by comparing quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why compare? Well, you could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. The licensed experts of Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance company, so you can trust them to help you navigate the step, uh, every step of the shopping and buying process. They have no ulterior motive. They're just trying to make it easier and more affordable for you. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius thousands of five-star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. The, this um, And eligible applicants can get covered in as little as a week thanks to an award-winning policy option that swaps the standard medical exam requirement for a simple phone call. So many reasons to go to Policy Genius, so go there now, policygenius.com, to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. So a few days ago, John Gruden, the now former head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders in the NFL, became the subject of uh, intense scrutiny when it was revealed in a stunning report from the Wall Street Journal that he had sent an email uh, 10 years ago making fun of someone's big lips. The recipient of the email, Bruce Allen, then president of the then Redskins, was not the target of the lips comment. Gruden was referring to a third guy, Demoris Smith, who's the executive director of the NFL Players Association. Um, does Demoris Smith actually have big lips? Well, if you were to compare Smith's lip circumference to the national average for his height and weight class, you'd probably discover that Gruden's claim was statistically correct. Um, I imagine that my own lips would be on the north end of average as well. But the difference is that I am white and Demoris Smith is black. It would be at worst a childish insult to make that kind of physical observation about a white man. But if in reference to a black man, it is an act of jaw-dropping racism. That's the rule anyway, even if it doesn't make the slightest bit of sense at all. And this was just the beginning of Gruden's troubles. The public became aware of Lipgate because the NFL has been combing through 650,000 emails in connection with an investigation into misconduct in the Washington football team organization. Gruden was never a member of the Washington football team organization. He was never accused of misconduct. Um, he wasn't even an employee of the NFL when the allegedly racist email was sent, but it was caught up in the dragnet. Why was it released? Out of the over half a million emails the league has reviewed, why was the spotlight shown on this one? Sent by a guy who was not being investigated and who, again, wasn't an NFL employee at the time. Why? Well, that question has yet to be answered, mostly because it has yet to be asked by the media. And it wouldn't exactly be a tinfoil hat conspiracy theory to suggest that perhaps Gruden's team, the Raiders, uh, have something to do with with this with these emails coming out. They coaxed Gruden out of the ESPN analyst booth in 2018 with a ludicrous 10-year, $100 million coaching contract. 
emails aside, Gruden has not come close to justifying that payday. It's arguable whether, whether any coach could, but in his case, in three years with the team, he's yet to finish with a winning record, and they're paying him $100 million. Is this email scandal just a way for the Raiders to get out from under the financially suicidal agreement they signed with him? Well, I don't know. We're left to speculate. Whoever is behind it, and whatever their reason, the goal is pretty clear. Destroy John Gruden. And it wouldn't be hard to accomplish that objective, aided by a media ever eager to knock a white man off his perch. But the final nail in the coffin came last night with a New York Times report detailing more, quote, offensive emails sent by Gruden to uh, Allen during Gruden's tenure as a sports commentator. So between 2011 and 2018, as the time, Times reveals, Gruden penned several vulgar emails, becoming no doubt the first person affiliated with professional football to ever use salty language. Gruden called the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, in one email, an anti-gay slur and also a, quote, clueless anti-football P-word. Now, the latter characterization of the widely hated Goodell can also be heard nearly verbatim on any given Sunday in any sports bar in the country. He blasted the commissioner for pressuring the Rams to draft Michael Sam a few years ago, who was the first openly gay football player. And uh, Gruden called Sam, quote, queer. Now, the word queer is used by gay people themselves. It's, it's what the Q in LGBTQ stands for. But as we've learned, the offensiveness of the term depends entirely on what identity group the person using it belongs to. The Times says that Gruden also called for players who protest the anthem to be fired, which is another sentiment that you can hear in any sports bar in the country or in millions of homes or almost anywhere else. It's how most people feel about it. And there are more shocking disclosures. Here's more from uh, the New York Times. They say, Gruden exchanged emails with Allen and other men that included photos of women wearing only bikini bottoms. There's no indication that this was, uh, there's no indication, by the way, that this was a revenge porn situation or that he was sharing pictures that had been taken without consent. So that's, that's an important point there. It also says, uh, quote, privately, Allen and Gruden appeared to have few boundaries in expressing homophobic and transphobic language. In one email, Gruden crudely asked Allen to tell Brian Glazier, whose family owns the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where Gruden coached in 2008, 2008 to perform oral sex on him. Allen said Glazier would take you up on that offer. Allen and Gruden also mocked Caitlyn Jenner, who received an award from ESPN in 2015 after, quote unquote, she transitioned. In an email from 20, 2015, Allen and Gruden criticized a congressional bill that aimed to force the Washington franchise to change its name, which the team stopped using last year. Okay, so the takeaway from all this is that John Gruden is about as crass and vulgar as literally every man who has ever coached or played football and who isn't named Tim Tebow. He also has opinions about anthem protests, about Caitlyn Jenner, about Goodell's leadership of the NFL that are shared by tens of millions of ordinary people. In spite of that, or maybe really because of it, Gruden was still forced to resign late last night. So he's gone. And with him gone, NFL locker rooms will now be almost entirely free of PG-13 language. We just need, you know, every other player and coach to resign as well. So one down, 2,000 to go. And then locker rooms will be a place of only G-rated language and gentlemanly decorum. Speaking of those other people collecting paychecks from the NFL, it should be noted that among them, you'll find Tampa Bay Buccaneers corner cornerback Richard Sherman, who was arrested for domestic violence this past summer. Also, also uh, Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson, 
who has been accused of sexual assault by over 20 women. 20. Actually, I think it's like 23 the count is up to now. Also, you'll find Bucks wide receiver um, uh, Antonio Brown, who's been accused of violence against women on multiple occasions, also settled a sexual assault lawsuit this past spring. And Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver Tyreek Hill, who pled guilty to punching and choking his pregnant girlfriend. I could go on. Indeed, the NFL is now and has historically been filled with violent criminals. The difference between Gruden's actions and that of Tyreek Hill or any of the other members of the NFL's, NFL's all-convict squad is that Gruden's behavior was victimless. Okay, these were private conversations through email between men who clearly were not offended by the sort of jokes being told and language being used. Nobody was harmed in the writing of the emails. Nobody's feelings were even hurt because nobody else knew about it. These were private conversations. The same cannot be said of Tyreek Hill's battered girlfriend or any of the 20-plus women that Deshaun Watson has allegedly assaulted. But in our terminally confused culture and country, violent crimes do not weigh nearly as heavy as thought crimes because that's what this is. This is the policing of thought crimes. Gruden harmed no one. He reserved his crass jocularity for private communications between friends. There is no reason why we ought to have been told what he said. And now that we have been told, there's no reason to be offended because the conversations didn't concern us and we were not intended, they were not intended for our eyes or ears. But all of that's beside the point for the cancel culture. Now, if the cancel mob could develop the technology to read your mind, they would not hesitate to do it. And they would not hesitate to summarily cancel you for things you don't even say out loud. I mean, after all, canceling someone for a private email exchange is only one small step away from canceling them for private thoughts. In fact, it's not really a step away at all. The two are not removed. It is the thought that's being prosecuted by the Pitchfork Mob Tribunal here. The fact that many of the thoughts Gruden shared and some of the words he used are common among ordinary people is precisely the point. The NFL higher-ups, you know, they may have had their own self-serving, profit-motivated reasons for throwing him to the wolves, but for the wolves themselves, tearing him apart is meant to be a message to the onlookers. And the message is, stop thinking this way, or you're next. And yet, it still isn't quite as simple as that. Because not all thought crimes are prosecuted the same. The NFL may have strapped Gruden to a donkey and exiled him to the hinterlands, but uh, they'll still be paying millions of dollars for a Super Bowl halftime show this February, featuring the likes of Eminem, Dr. Dre, and Snoop Dogg, all of whom have used all of the words Gruden used, and then some, in dozens of hit songs that were released to the public, a few of which will actually be performed during that broadcast. That's quite a disparity. The disparity, though, is due to the fact that bad thoughts are not the problem in and of themselves, right? It's the combination of identity and thought that determines what a person is allowed to think and say and what their fate will be. That's what this is about. The cancel mob will, will, will look at you and your identity, and they will decide what you're allowed to think and what you're allowed to say even in private. And that will be judged 
entirely based on your identity. Gruden is a white man, and even worse, if his comments about the anthem and Biden are any indication, he's a right-wing white man. Or at the very least, he's certainly not a leftist white man. And that was his real crime. All the rest is pretense. Now let's get to our five headlines. Um, okay, so you know one one other note about that. I continue to, and I know that there's that this is this is a a moot point because all the people in the media, sports media, you know, who are pretending to be so scandalized. Oh my gosh, by what by what John Gruden said in those emails. Um, I know that again, it's pretense. They are pretending. This is all theatrical. This is all performative. But taking them at face value for a moment, I uh, once again invite any of them to uh, to release their to give to give the public their Gmail passwords, so that we can comb through their emails and just and take a look and see if at any point over the last ten years. They have ever sent even a single private message to a friend or a family member where they used vulgar or offensive language. Now, I, I said this to Mark, Mark Lamont Hill, of course, a, a well-known race baiter. Uh, he was responding to me on Twitter where I made the point that, um, as I just did in the opening, that Gruden's vulgar comments were in private emails. Uh, the people who received the emails didn't care. Nobody else knew about them. So this is a victimless crime. And Gruden is getting canceled for thought crimes. And Mark Lamont Hill responded. He said, agreed. You know, being sarcastic, he says, I mean, what are the chances that a racist, sexist, and homophobic person would do anything improper in a leadership position? And why shouldn't a private company employ someone who has brought shame and disgrace? Libs, am I right? Now, of course, the problem with the way that he's presenting this is, first of all, John Gruden, he didn't bring the NFL shame and disgrace. Nobody knew about this. Shame and disgrace is something that happens in the public, in, in, in the public's eye. The only reason the public knows about these shameful emails is that the NFL told them. So he did not bring shame and disgrace to anyone. No one knew about it. Um, and as far as, well, you know, if, if, if he's saying these things in private, then probably he's, he's acting improperly in his leadership position. Well, is he? He's been in a leadership position in, in for, for this organization for three years. He was a coach before that. So if he's done, if he's actually done wrong things, if he has, has in fact acted improperly in his position, then why aren't we just being told that? If that was the case, they'd tell us that. But no, by all indications, he has behaved perfectly fine. You know, these are just his private thoughts. And even though he's reserving that for private and not publishing it, uh, still he's being he's being uh, canceled for it. But even so, you know, I, I said to Mark Lyon, I'm, I'm still waiting for the response, but I invited him to uh, just, you know, he could send it to me or he could or he could put it out on Twitter. Um, either way, give us your Gmail um, password. And and we'll go through, you know, and we'll we'll keep it to a decade. We won't look we won't look back any farther than that, I promise. Uh, but we'll keep it to a decade, and we'll look back a decade and see: Have you ever said anything in your private communications? And you know what? Um, show us your text messages as well. 
while, while we're at it. Does, does, do you really want to claim that? Does anyone? All the people pretending to be offended, do, do any of them want to claim that over the course of 10 years, they have never said anything offensive through text message or email at all? If you want to, you know, anyone who wants to make that claim, just step up and say so. But then put your money where your mouth is. Prove it. Let's see. All right, we'll start with this. Now, uh, this is this is one uh, I'll mention kind of briefly, and, and uh, I'll probably want to go into more detail about it tomorrow because it's a very important story and deserves, you know, more than, uh, than a brief mention. But here's a report, exclusive report, um, in the, by the Daily Wire. You go to dailywire.com and find it. And the headline is, Loudoun County Schools tried to conceal sexual assault against a, a daughter in the bathroom, according to the daughter's father. Now, here's the, some of the background on this. I'll just read some from the report. It says, on June 22nd, Scott Smith was arrested at a Loudoun County, Virginia school board meeting, a meeting that was ultimately deemed an unlawful assembly after many attendees vocally opposed a policy on transgender students. What people did not know is that weeks prior on May 28th, Smith says a boy allegedly wearing a skirt entered a girl's bathroom at nearby Stonebridge High School where he has sexually assaulted Smith's ninth grade daughter. Juvenile records are sealed, but Scott's attorney, Elizabeth Lancaster, told the Daily Wire that a boy was charged with two counts of forcible sodomy, one count of anal sodomy, and one count of forcible fellatio related to an incident that day at the school. Um, as a result of the viral video showing his arrest, Smith became the poster child for what the National School Boards Association has since suggested as potential domestic terrorism. That is a white, blue-collar male who showed up to harangue obscure public servants on his local school board. Now, there's a, there's a lot more to this story. And I would, again, encourage you to go to dailywire.com and, uh, and read it for yourself. I can't read the entire thing here. But the, the, uh, the important points to note here are that, allegedly, uh, a, a girl was raped in a bathroom during school hours. Uh, in a girl's bathroom by a male. Allegedly, the male was wearing a skirt at the time. Now, there's no indication that he identifies as trans, I believe, uh, but that's totally irrelevant to the point. And it's especially irrelevant to the point that um, Loudoun County Schools wanted to, this is according to the father, uh, they wanted to handle this in-house. I mean, a rape of a student. They wanted to keep that in-house. So, so just right in line with the kinds of sexual assault cover-ups that we've seen in so many other institutions, including in the public school system. This is not the first time that this kind of thing has happened in public school, where there's been a sexual assault in a public school, um, either you know student against student or teacher against student. And it's certainly not the first time that a public school has, uh, has said, well, we're going to handle this in-house. We're going to... Why do they want to handle it in-house? Well, for all of the obvious reasons, including the fact that um, it, dirt, while when this happened, the school board and the school system, they were in the process of trying to push this trans bathroom policy through. And they wanted to be able to claim, as they just went ahead and claimed anyway, that there's been no assaults in the bathroom at all by males against females, which was a lie. And to make it to make all of this even worse, if it, if, it, if it could possibly get worse, 
This father who was, I mean, understandably, uh, I, I'm not sure I have the word to describe what, what he must, be, I was going to say furious, but I think something, something even more, a word even more severe is probably needed here. Uh, this, this father, enraged, you know, he goes to the, the, uh, the school after this happened. He, the, the parents were contacted and they were told, that, oh, there was an incident. And he shows up there and they're trying to downplay it. And he gets extremely upset and starts, you know, yelling and everything like, like any father would. Uh, and then he shows up to the school board meeting when they're talking about putting a policy in place to officially codify this. That, oh, yeah, well, let's mix males and females in the restrooms because we know how well that goes. And he gets really upset there and he's yelling. And then he gets into some kind of minor altercation with somebody else and he gets uh, arrested. And that case specifically, when, when, we hear, when we hear about violence at school board meetings, there has been almost none. With rare exception, and one of the rare exceptions was this case. So the media uses this case of a, of a distraught, angry father whose daughter was raped in a bathroom. And it was covered up, reacting as any father would to that. They use that as one of their, this case, without any of the details, all they're telling us is, that, is, that, is this, uh, this man's reaction at the school board meeting. They're using this as a justification to label all parents at school board meetings, including Scott Smith, domestic terrorists. It, it, is, it is unspeakably evil. All of it, the whole story. From what, the, from what this guy, this, this male allegedly did, to have the way the school handled it and the school board knowing what happened to this uh, man's daughter, they still push this policy through. And why do they push it through? Because they don't give a damn about the safety of kids. You really got to understand that if you're sending your kids to public school, this is not hyperbole. The people running these schools, they do not care about your child's safety. They don't care. Do you think any of the people on this school board lost any, after pushing a policy through to put males in, in, into female locker rooms, when we, when we know, allegedly, that at least one girl had been raped recently, you think they lost any sleep over it? You think they're worried at all? You think they care in the slightest? No. All they care about is the ideological agenda. That's all they care about. People are just pawns. Your children are pawns to them. These people are scum, the lowest of the low, running school board meetings. And what do they do after that? The, the Loudoun County School Board, what do they do after this? After this incident? Um, that's when they basically shut down the meetings. They don't let the public inside, and you're only given 60 seconds to speak. How convenient for them. How convenient, right, that, uh, that they just had to put these policies in place for safety right after this incident happened. Which means, coincidentally, now you're not going to get an angry crowd of people in the room talking about this uh, alleged rape. They're not going to have a lot of time to speak about it. I believe it, when I went to the, the uh, Loudoun County meeting, 
one of the people to go before me did mention this case, but they only had 60 seconds and they got cut off like mid sentence. Absolute scum. I mean, really. And does does all of this relate back? I mean, does it really relate back to the trans bathroom issue? If this kid uh, allegedly doesn't identify as trans, or I don't know what he identifies as, um, if that's the case, does it still relate back to to the trans bathroom issue? Yes, yes, it does. The school system obviously thinks it does, which is why they tried to cover this up. It relates back for a few reasons, but we'll start with this. Because it demonstrates to anybody who needed, you know, uh, to have this demonstrated to them, why you don't mix boys and girls in high school bathrooms and locker rooms. This is why you don't mix them. Bad things happen when you mix them. Nothing good can happen. There's no possible positive outcome. It's just a matter of how bad it will be. And we see it gets very, very bad. All right, so Southwest, uh, we'll mention this as well briefly. Uh, Southwest, their flight cancellations continue as they continue to, uh, to claim that this has nothing to do with the pilot strike, even though pilots went on strike over the vaccine mandate And then right after that, they're canceling flights by the thousands, uh, and there's chaos in airports all across the country, but they still say no connection at all. The CEO of Southwest was on ABC, uh, and uh, he continued to do a little CYA dance, and here's what he said. I know Spirit Airlines had some trouble as well, but it seems like Southwest really bore the brunt of this. Why, Why Southwest? Well, I think it's uh, what I said. I think over half of our fleet touches the state of Florida. We have a linear route system. We're just different. And, you know, I can't really speak to uh, what their issues were or weren't. Uh, Everyone was impacted on Friday, uh, and everyone was impacted in a a very big way. Seem a lot of people invested in this idea that this is somehow related to vaccine mandates. There's just no evidence of that. Uh, You know, as I said, and as Captain Murray said, our people are working very hard uh, they're doing a great job. I'm very proud of them, uh, and especially when we get into a difficult situation like this, uh, they're also delayed. They're also ending up in places uh, that they didn't expect. So, uh, no, our people are doing a, a phenomenal job. And the vaccine mandate, obviously, is controversial, and uh, it's not anything that, that I wish for our company. Uh, this is a government mandate. It's a presidential order. Uh, and we're doing our best to comply with that uh, according to the deadlines that, that have been set. Um, we're not going to fire any employees over this. We're urging all of our employees to get vaccinated. If they can't get vaccinated, uh, we're urging them to seek an accommodation. So, uh, uh, you know, we'll do everything we can to support our people here. To seek an accommodation, what exactly does that mean? Because the policy says that there really are no accommodations. You have to get vaccinated. So this, to me, seems to be just a bald-faced lie, uh, which is, and this is the narrative that Southwest has settled on, and we know this is how lies work. They have a snowball effect. When you tell the first lie, then you got to tell another lie. You got to keep lying. And then you get to a point where now you definitely can't tell the truth because now, now you'd be confessing not just to one lie, but to a thousand lies, all the other lies that you told because of the one lie. 
And so they decided at the very beginning to not be honest about why this was happening. And uh, that's what they're going to stick to. But it, it defies all common sense that there will be no relation whatsoever. You know, he uses the excuse. You heard, I think, some of it there in the clip. But in the longer interview, he says that a lot of this goes back to Florida. And there were some air traffic control. You know, it was grounding flights in Florida. And it was weather-related and everything. But that doesn't get around the fact that no other airline was canceling. You know, it, it was like, in terms of cancellations, Delta versus Southwest, it was something like three to 1,500 in a day. Um, I don't know. Is, is this, are Southwest planes especially susceptible to bad weather? Is that the case? Because if that's the case, then please tell me that so I can keep, take that into account the next time I'm uh, deciding what airline to take when I got to fly somewhere. Or, or maybe, you know, maybe this is a weather phenomenon that, is, that only targets Southwest planes. It's a, a very unique phenomenon, but this does happen sometimes. It could be a giant tornado or something that kind of chooses based on the color of the plane. I don't know. Now, it's science. So that's possible, or this is all total, complete nonsense. From people who have no problem lying to you, just like the Loudoun County School Board, they're all cut from the same cloth. They have no problem lying to you for two reasons. Number one, they think that uh, it's 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 for the best. You know, ends justify the means. And for the Loudoun County School Board, the the end was pushing the transgender pa- bathroom policy. For this, it's pushing vaccine mandates. And when your ideology is grounded in moral relativism then this is what you're going to ascribe to this idea that ends justify the means. And if the means are simply lying, well, who cares about that? And, and they'll go much further than lying if they need to. So that's one reason. The other reason is that they simply don't believe that you are owed the truth. You as some peon, some mere passenger, some mere customer, some mere p- parent on a school board, you're not owed the truth. They don't owe it to you. All right, let's move now to this. Uh, going back to the sports world, unfortunately, Greg Popovich is the head coach of the Spurs. And for some reason, he uh, had some thoughts about Columbus Day that he wanted to share while he's, you know, I mean, you'd think we, we'd want to talk to him about basketball. That's really his only area of expertise. But he wanted to talk about Columbus Day, too. And uh, this is what he had to say. I'm a little confused about our city and why it's Indigenous Peoples Day slash Columbus Day. Columbus? I mean, he he initiated a New World genocide. That's what he did. And beginning with him and what he set in motion and what followed meant the annihilation of every indigenous person in Hispaniola, which was Haiti and the Dominican Republic today. That's what he did. He took slaves, uh, he, he mutilated, he murdered, uh, and we're gonna, they're gonna say slash and honor him. Well, you know, I gotta give the San Antonio Independent School District a little bit of credit because at least they added Indigenous Peoples Day 
along with it. And that's a step in the right direction. But what the hell is Alamo Heights thinking? It's Columbus Day. That's why they're off on Monday? You know, maybe there's something I'm missing and I'm ignorant. But it makes me feel like they're living in a phone booth and they're educating our kids. Columbus Day? And we're going to honor that. And it's, it's, it's no knock on Italian Americans. That's a silly argument. You know, it's, it's like saying we should be proud of Hitler because we're German. Maybe there's something you're missing. Uh, yeah, I think there is. Like a comb, for one. Is that actually the head coach of the Spurs, or is that a homeless guy who just stumbled out of the methadone clinic down the street? I'm not exactly sure. Um, but you, you see a couple things happening here. Number one, he's, he's saying Columbus Day? What, you're celebrating Columbus Day? This is unthinkable. He's reacting that way to something that up until 10 seconds ago, everybody celebrated Columbus Day. You know, he's, by the looks of it, 97 or 98 years old. And so he's been living in a country for nearly a century that celebrates Columbus Day. And as far as I know, he he's, hasn't been ranting about it all that entire time. And, and now, so, so, but this is what they do. You know, they want to make a drastic change. And this is a very drastic change. It's not just about the holiday. But rather than celebrating Columbus and the European settlers and pioneers who came here and brought civilization to these shores and are, are you know, among the founders of the civilization that we currently live in, rather than celebrating them, we're not going to celebrate them anymore. We're going to celebrate the indigenous people. Even though, as I reviewed yesterday, no one has really explained what exactly we're celebrating about these indigenous people. What are we celebrating? But wherever you fall on that, this is a drastic change in our culture. Uh, only the left, and he's a member of the left, they'll never really admit that they're proposing a, a change at all, let alone a drastic change. You know, we're, we're doing something a certain way for years and years and decades. And then they come along and say, um, you know what? Uh, no, we're going to do it this other way now. And the moment they say that, the moment they say it, if you do not go along with them and make this sudden left turn, then you're not just wrong. I mean, they're not, they're not going to simply argue with you and try to support try to present present uh, justifications for this change. They're going to treat you like a lunatic. I mean, you're, you're doing what people have, have always done for years, and they're proposing a whole new thing. But if you simply stay on that same path that you've already been on and that they themselves were on up until that moment, now you're insane. It's like it's, it's, they, they treat it as self-evidently uh, absurd. That's the game they always play, and it's very effective. People fall for it. Because when you, when you propose a drastic change and you admit that it's a drastic change, people tend to evaluate that a little bit different. They say, oh, well, drastic change. I don't know if I'm, if I don't, I don't know if I'm really game for that. Well, let's, let's talk about it. But when you, when you act as though your new proposed path is, well, clearly we should be doing this instead. Putting, putting that pretense on it, it's, it's very effective in 
convincing people. Or if not convincing them, then shaming them into, scaring them into silence. And of course, he makes the comparison between Columbus and Hitler, uh, which is the same comparison that, you know, any high school junior uh, will make based on, you know, reading three sentences about about Columbus. This is a a part of this goes goes back to a absolute historical illiteracy on the part of many people in this country. You you go up to the average, especially the average leftist who wants to throw Columbus into the burn pile. Ask them to to just start listing historical figures, as many as they can name. They could probably give you like five. And they're going to have those historical figures separated, a, a, a clear line between them, black and white. You've got the bad guys and the good guys. And Hitler, he's like the main bad guy. And anyone who's on his side is basically Hitler. Throw Columbus in there. That's the way they look at it. No understanding of history whatsoever. I I would say it's a failure of the public school system, but it's not really a failure because they're doing exactly what they intend to do. They don't want to give students a real appreciation for history or for historical context. Least of all, do they want students to graduate with any sort of admiration for... um, any of the men who used to be the heroes, considered the heroes of our civilization. Uh, genocide? Well, we already know that, that uh, the Europeans, they did not bring slavery to, to, to the Americas. That was already here. They didn't bring conquest. That was already here. They didn't bring any, they, they didn't bring any of those things. Did they bring genocide? No, they didn't. I mean, archaeologists are still digging up mass graves um, of uh, of various Indian tribes from pre-contact times, like hundreds of years before any European ever showed up here. There were entire tribes being wiped out. Who was responsible for that? Was it the Europeans? Were Were they sneaking over here unbeknownst to anybody? So they didn't bring that either. Um, and as far as celebrate, you know, the, the thing is, in, in other countries, Columbus is not a villain, despite how he's how he's portrayed. But there are countries in this world, non-Western countries, that without any embarrassment, will celebrate truly villainous historic figures, because those historical figures are, you know, the founders of their of their culture. Genghis Khan, for example. I mean, there are, there are statues to Genghis Khan in Mongolia. Genghis Khan, who was such a prolific rapist that, you know, whatever, a third of the world is related to him right now. Whatever the number is. I mean, this is a guy who, who, who uh, is responsible for the slaughter of millions of people without using bombs or guns. And they have no shame about it, no embarrassment whatsoever. That's who Genghis Khan was, but he's their founder, he's their historical hero, and they honor him. Columbus was not Genghis Khan, not even close. But in the West, we're the only ones who have this kind of embarrassment of our, of our, about our historical figures. Um, 
Let's see. One other quick uh, note here. It says from the Daily Wire. It says California Governor Gavin Newsom on Tuesday signed a bill to streamline the assisted suicide process for terminally ill patients who wish to end their own lives. The bill will slash the current 15-day waiting period for patients to get the legal drugs to a mere 48 hours. The law also requires healthcare providers to post their physician-assisted suicide policies on their websites. So they already had uh, assisted suicide, but Gavin Newsom, he looked at it and he said, you know, the real problem here is that people aren't able to kill themselves quickly enough. Just think about that for a second. The 15-day waiting period, but to have assisted suicide at all is barbaric. But with the 15-day waiting period, the point is you're, you're giving people some more time to think about what they're about to do because you're making a choice you cannot take back. And Gavin Newsom is saying, no, give them less time to think about it. What could possibly be the non-horrifying reason for that? No, you just want to get, you, you want these people gone. All right, you're done. Let's just get you out of here. Let's get, let's get you off of the earth. That's the attitude. And there, you know, we don't have time to get into all the problems with assisted suicide. Assisted suicide, which is in and of itself is kind of a euphemism. Um, but maybe we shouldn't have to go any, any uh, beyond this point. That this is a total inversion of medicine and a corruption and perversion of the medical profession. You know, doctors traditionally in Hippocratic Oath are swearing to do no harm. And whether they take any official oath or not, that is, that's supposed to be the idea behind medicine. It is to treat and cure and heal. Um, destroying a life is not treating it. It's certainly not curing or healing it. You, you, you don't treat someone's body by destroying it, by poisoning it. And so you have turned medicine on its head when doctors become dealers of death. And yet, of course, even without assisted suicide, we know that that's already the case all across the country because that's what abortionists do, who call themselves doctors. But it is not a positive trend. You know, to have a doctor in one room, he's got a patient with cancer, and that, and that patient wants to, wants to stick around and fight it. And so he's trying to help that, uh, that person overcome and trying to treat their, their illness. Then he goes over to the next room and he's helping that person kill themselves. To have this kind of schizophrenic approach to medicine is uh, not a positive development at all. All right, let's get to our uh, YouTube comments. This is from Lieutenant Crazy Man, says, Matt, you're a genuine imbecile, angry and childish. I listen to arguments from you, but it hurts my brain trying to decipher the flatulence that comes from your mouth. Uh, I don't know if this is supposed to be a joke because you spelled imbecile, I-M-B-A-C-I-L-E. Imbecile? Matt, you're damned imbecile? Uh, and I'll, I will never get you know, that's that's always going to be hilarious to me when someone tries to call you stupid and misspells it in the process. So thank you for that. I, I, you know, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say this was a joke on your part. Uh, Nicholas the Caged says, 
you don't like dogs and flying makes you anxious. Matt, if you didn't have kids, I'd wonder if you were even a man. But no, I, I think uh, disliking flying, that's, uh, that's quite, I, I have a manly reason for it. The reason I don't like flying, the anxiety comes from the lack of control. That's why I have no anxiety about driving, even though statistically, we all know driving is significantly more dangerous. I mean, you're way more likely to die in the car uh, than you are on a plane. Being on a plane 35,000 feet in the air is probably the safest place on Earth. And it's not even, you know, on Earth, on, on the Earth, on the ground anyway. Uh, and I recognize all that, but... I, I still don't feel like I have control. And that's where the anxiety comes from. I need, it's my desire for control. Um, let's see. Jack says, on the topic of Indigenous Peoples Day, it really says something about our cultural decay that we choose to celebrate the conquered rather than the conquerors. A good microcosm for the victimhood culture that plagues our society. Yeah, it is, it is kind of interesting. One of the things that we always hear is that uh, when it comes to tearing down the Confederate statues, People who support that. What's, what's one of the things they always say? They always say that, well, we, we, why are we celebrating losers? They're the loser. They lost the war. Well, in, this, in the Indian War, in the, in the battle of civilizations, the indigenous people lost. Could you apply that same logic there? Um, David Osvog says it should be called Vikings Day. It was my ancestors who landed first a millennia before Columbus. Yeah, you know, of course we hear about Leif Erikson and everything, but the, the and, and okay, but he didn't establish lasting colonies in the New World, so it didn't have the same history shaping, um, civilization changing effect. It's I mean, still still quite. I mean, I'm, I'm impressed with anyone back in in history able to get on a ship without any modern navigational equipment whatsoever and go from point A to point B and not die in the process. I'm I'm impressed by all of that personally, but there is a, a significant difference. Um. And finally, another comment says very few natives were violent to each other. Isn't the whole thing with Native American tribes was the fact that they didn't own the land. The land owns them. You want to talk about painting a a large brush, you hypocrite. Hypocrite spelled H-I-P-P-C-R-I-T-E. Hypocrite. You hypocrite. You imbecile hypocrite. Uh, This is another one that I I want to think is a joke. I mean, because I don't want to believe that there are people this dense actually watching my show. That That would make me question myself. Very few native tribes were violent to each other. Really. They were all violent to each other. But it's not just them. Violence was the way of the world for thousands of years through human civilization. Our ancestors were brutal people. And when I say our ancestors, I mean everybody. I don't care what the color of your skin is or where you're from. And you know something else? If you lived... 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago, you would have been a brutal person too. Or you'd be dead. You know, you would have died. Those those really would have been your two choices, especially if you were a man. So that's the reality across the world. But uh, were Native American tribes violent to each other? (laughs) Yes, they were. And what I would suggest is, you know, maybe instead of getting all of your historical information from Facebook memes, maybe pick up a book. Just a thought.
We know that abortion advocates are going insane still over the Texas law banning abortion. I mean, they already were insane, but they continue even more in that state because of this law. And that's why we need, as this conversation continues, we need as many voices as possible to join the defense of Texas and any other states that are joining the fight for life. That's one of the reasons why I wrote the foreword to the new book from 40 Days for Life, What to Say When, the complete new guide to discussing abortion. I wrote the foreword to it. Uh, I read the book myself and found it very useful, even as someone who argues about these issues all the time. um, And I feel like I know them pretty well. I still found useful tips and a lot of other people have as well. That's why this book has been number one um, on the Amazon new release chart and a number two Amazon bestseller. The book is very easy to use. It tells you what to say, what not to say, and also the proven arguments that have worked for everybody. They've even used these arguments with Planned Parenthood workers and they've converted 221 of them. That's how compelling it is. So go to Amazon right now or get the book directly. That's What to Say When, the complete new guide to discussing abortion. Uh, You can get it directly from 40 Days for Life at 40daysforlife.com. And tonight is the night. It's a huge night for Backstage. Instead of the usual Daily Wire studio, we'll be live streaming our conversation on stage at the famous Ryman Auditorium right here in Nashville, where we'll attempt to make sense of the increasingly authoritarian world we're living in. This will be an event and a live stream unlike any other that we've done before and you're not going to want to miss it. So join myself, Ben Shapiro, Candace Owens, Jeremy Boring, Michael Knowles, Andrew Clavin, and our live audience for a backstage like never before. Tonight's live stream will begin at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Central. So head to dailywire.com or dailywire YouTube to catch the show. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So today for our daily cancellation, we must pick on some random sap who wrote a letter seeking advice from a New York Times columnist, which uh, should give you an idea of just how clueless and desperate this person really is. But our purpose is not simply to mock this person. That's part of the purpose, yeah. But the larger purpose is to talk about the deeper societal issue that this person's attitude is symptomatic of. So writing to advice columnist Roxanne Gay, a person named Britt from Indianapolis poses this quandary. Britt says, I am 27. In the last year, I landed my dream job. My job has purpose. My skills and qualifications are used and challenged. My coworkers and supervisors are unparalleled, but alas, 40 hours a week is not sustainable. I have hobbies. I have creative pursuits and therapy and laundry. And I own a small dog. So I am busy. (laughs) Um, Anyway, my partner and I are considering starting a family in a few years. Because I already feel like there's not enough time in the week. I wonder what getting away from the 40-hour work week looks like. I've considered self-employment, trying out the artist lifestyle, going back into academia, mildly rejecting capitalism, but maybe I should just get over it. Thoughts? Now, the answer from Roxanne dances around the issue, trying to validate this person's concerns and perspective while still gently suggesting that maybe, just maybe, work is an unavoidable fact of life. Though she does leave open the hope that perhaps we as a culture, quote, will eventually decide there is indeed more to life than work. Of course, saying there's more to life than work is like saying there's more to life than water or breathing. It's true at face value, but it's not true if what you mean is that these things are negotiable or expendable. You cannot have life without water or oxygen. You cannot have life without work. All people must work to live, or else they must force someone else to do the work for them. Those are the only two options. There are no other options. There will never be any others. Work may not be life, but life is work. Anyone telling you different is selling you something, to paraphrase the Princess Bride. Now, capitalism did not invent work. Here's another history lesson. In pre-industrial times, life was work. 
And also work was life. And, and that, for them, they had it both. For everyone but the privileged few, royalty, nobility back in those days, every second of every day was a battle to survive. It was work. Capitalism is just one system of work. It is just one way for people to exploit their work in order to sustain themselves. It's, it also happens to be the best system. Certainly better than any other system that anybody has ever devised. So this is one important point. You cannot escape work unless you escape it by living off the work of others. But then you haven't decreased the amount of work that needs to be done. You've just pawned your share off on someone else. And this is a bad option because it's immoral. And if you don't care about morality, maybe you'll care about this. A life without work is far more miserable than a life of work. To be unproductive, to reap the fruits of labor that you didn't participate in, to have striving and effort and ambition removed from your life entirely, that's a recipe for despair. Check in with jackpot lottery winners sometime and see how happy they really are. Or welfare recipients or unemployed adults who live at home with their parents. These are not joyful people. You could be satiated in a life like that. You could be numb and comfortable, but joy comes from striving. There is no other way to find it. So that's the first point. The second, obviously, is that 40 hours a week is really not that much at all. 40 hours a week leaves you 16 hours a day during the week and 48 hours on the weekend. You, you have 128 hours a week to yourself to do what you want. E even with a basket of laundry to fold and a small dog to take care of, still, you should have a healthy surplus of free time. I mean, I can't even imagine having that much free time. It sounds almost mythological. It is literally beyond my wildest dreams. And yet, it's not enough? How much free time do you want? Eight hours of work a day, five days a week is too much? How many hours do you think you ought to be doing? What, 30 minutes a day? Is that the goal? The problem here is not just the whiny, pathetic laziness that's so endemic in our society today, but also a total inability to prioritize time. This is also endemic, and we all you know, suffer from this to one degree or another. You look at any poll or any survey on the subject, or you talk to almost anybody, and you'll find that nearly everyone thinks that they're so busy and they complain about their stress and their anxiety and they feel overworked and exhausted, etc. And yet we also know that Americans spend 10 hours a day on their phones, watching TV, you know, playing video games cumulatively. I, I read one report that says that the average American is subscribed to four streaming services and streams up to eight hours a day of content. I bet the person who sent this question to the New York Times is on the higher end of those averages. So how can it be that we waste our lives consuming media, but also we're stressed out and busy? Well, again, because we don't know how to prioritize our time. Also, most of us have terrible diets and don't get enough exercise, which contributes to both exhaustion and feelings of stress. We have no sense of higher purpose in life, which causes anxiety. Many factors can be taken into account here, but an inability to prioritize time is certainly a major one. Chances are, whatever it is you'd like to do with your time, but think you don't have time to do, the lack of time is a figment of your imagination. It's an illusion. Where does this illusion come from? I mean, how have we all convinced ourselves that we're so busy and, uh, and, and, and stressed out, even as we spend a third of the day staring at images on screens? I think the answer is threefold. One, we fool ourselves into believing that we're busy because we equate busyness with importance and we want to feel important. Two, most of our time is wasted consuming media and we tend to go into a slightly catatonic state when we consume media, especially if we're in the middle of a streaming binge, which means our perception of time is altered. Social media is specifically designed to have this effect. It's made, it's made to keep you sort of glued there while not perceiving just how much time you're spending on it. 
That's what uh, they call eternal scrolling is all about, where you just keep scrolling and scrolling down a screen and it never, never ends. And then third, there's marketing. Most of the advertisement and marketing that bombards our eyes and ears carries with it this message that we're all a bunch of super busy people leading busy, bustling lives. Advertising companies want to sell us on our busyness because they want to sell products that are meant to help with that fictional problem. Most consumer products are focused on making our lives easier, more convenient, because, you know, we, we need more shortcuts because our lives are so hectic. Or else we're being sold things that are supposed to give us rest and recreation so that we can have a break from those allegedly busy lives of ours. Either way, the marketing companies have to first tell us that we're busy so that they can sell the cure to it, not unlike the method used by pharmaceutical companies. And that's how we, with hours and hours of free time every day, still convince ourselves that we don't have time to start the hobby that we want to start, or go to the gym, or read a book, or do whatever other worthwhile and edifying thing we want to do. We're just too busy. We've got our dog and the laundry and Hulu and Netflix and Disney Plus and Apple TV. There's just no time, even though there's lots of time. I mean, all we have is time. It's just a matter of how we choose to spend it. And so that's my advice to that uh, person who sent the question to the New York Times columnist. But even after giving the advice, I still have to say to them that they are canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. Mm-hmm.